Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained. A cold, hard cash edition. This week, we're talking about the revived medical freedom movement, what campaign cash tells us about the big races of 2022, an update on who has jumped in and out of state races, and we're going to break down a massive criminal justice reform bill, all in 15 minutes or less, so no pressure. To help me accomplish this goal, I have the help of fellow legislative reporter Titus Wu. Welcome back to the show, Titus. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, right now, you know, amid this winter storm, uh, it's it's good to st- uh, still connect with uh, and inform our readers about Ohio politics. Yeah, and if our audio sounds a little off this week, it's because <laughs> we're all hunkering down inside our houses until this winter storm passes. I'm literally in my closet because I didn't want my microphone to pick up the patter of ice hitting the windows in my office. So... The pandemic has actually increased the popularity of companies like DoorDash and Zoom, but it also increased the profile of groups that oppose vaccine mandates. Titus and our colleague Laura Bischoff took a deep dive into how two medical freedom groups have moved from the politics into the mainstream geo. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you guys found in your reporting? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, me and Laura, you know, we spent over a month working on this. Uh, you know, you guys should definitely take a read. It's subscriber only, so you, you should subscribe. But, you know, it's it, it's very fascinating to see how how the pandemic really, you know, kind of uh, pushed forward kind of the movement against vaccine requirements. You know, we, we, took, we took a look back about before the pandemic, uh, talk, looking at, you know, kind of how we formed um, kind of their advocacy then, how they were limited to only basically being able to kill uh, bills they didn't like, but they weren't able to push forth legislation they wanted. But then with COVID-19, you know, a lot of people began to kind of really see how um, how mixed kind of government is with kind of, you know, health. You know, when we saw with the lockdown, the mask orders and that kind of nature. Um, and that really, you know, pushed a lot of people towards kind of joining the medical freedom movement for the first time. And, you know, and it put a lot more pressure on these lawmakers. And eventually, you know, just uh, just this last you know, year, um, you know, with the Ohio House, they, they did pass a vaccine bill. Uh, they, you know, they did push forward. And then that was that was pretty significant. You know, even though it wasn't the same bill that, you know, a lot of the medical freedom advocates uh, necessarily favored or wanted. Uh, the fact that, you know, there was pressure for, you know, the almost entire kind of you know, Republican group in the Ohio House to, to vote yes on it uh, was significant. And right now it's in the House Senate. It's, it's still going to be an issue that I'm going to be trying to keep track of. Uh, right now, they're focused on redistricting, but we know once that's over, you know, that's definitely something to keep watch of. Yeah, and it's even caused problems for Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. You know, the he's got a couple of Republican challengers in the primary, and a lot of them have talked about, you know, his vetoing of some of these bills, right. his pushback, right. his support for vaccinating the reason why. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's definitely going to be 
I think this is, um, I mean, when I was doing my interviews for the story, you know, I, you know, I realized that this, this could be probably like the first election in which, you know, kind of vaccine mandates you know, do become like a major election issue. And, you know, and for DeWine, um, you know, he was one of the first, you know, governors, not, you know, in this, in the nation really to take, to take action against against the virus, you know, to impose these lockdowns and everything. And um, that's going to be something that's, you know, you, you're definitely going to hear repeated, you know, on the campaign trail during the governor's race, especially with the Republican primary. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So our second topic is campaign finance. The reports came out this week, which means we got to see how much money different politicians have raised or loaned themselves. And, you know... A political operative mission, so you got to get people to support you finance. You want to get others to support you on election day. But it seems like the lesson in the U.S. Senate race is just eschew that advice and loan yourself the money. Mike Gibbons loaned his campaign $3.5 million in the fourth quarter, $41,000 from other people. In total, he's dropped $11.4 million of his own money. Matt Dolan loaned his campaign about... 10 million. Uh, former Ohio Republican Party Chair Jane Timken loaned her campaign 3.5 million in 2021. I mean, it's like it seems like the majority of these Republican candidates are self-funded. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, some of these numbers are just really big, and you know, like it's it just a lot more, you know, of course, wealthy and everything. Um, but I think you know, uh, our, our our colleague uh, who covers congressional politics here in Ohio, uh, Haley Miller, you know, made a really good point in kind of uh, her article about how. You know, because, you know, they're so kind of self-funded and, you know, they have that cash on hand, they're able to, uh, you know, kind of stay in the race longer as opposed to maybe a normal candidate, you know, who if they're, you know, losing steam, they don't have enough donations, they can't financially continue. So that's interesting. Yeah. One of the candidates who isn't self-funding is Tim Ryan, who's running for the nomination for U.S. Senate. But Ryan's been in Congress a long time. And, you know, a lot of the money that he's comes from his uh, congressional campaign and from the connections he's made through like a decade in office. So while he brought in eight and a half million last year, there is the caveat of the fact that he's already in office and established in that way. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's also, you know, campaign filings on, on, on the governor's side. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, that 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 was pretty interesting. Um, I believe on, on the Democratic side between uh, kind of uh, Nan Whaley, uh, the, the mayor of Dayton and John Cranley, the mayor of Cincinnati, you know, it's it's pretty, you know, even. Uh, but I found I found the Republican filings, you know, pretty interesting. Um, I mean, we talk about a lot of these uh, U.S. Senate candidates self-funding themselves. Uh, I believe, you know, one of the challengers to Governor DeWine, uh, Jim Renathy, um, he actually um, raised, you know, significantly less than than a, a more minor candidate, Joe, uh, I believe Joe, is it Joe Byler? But then, you know, because he he, he gave himself a, a loan. Blystone, my bad. Yes, Joe Blystone. Um, but because he, because Renee gave himself a loan, he, he was able to still, you know, he'll have a lot more cash on hand than than, than Blystone does. So yeah, yeah that, and we'll see how they all do as we 
And we'll see how they all do as we get to May primary. If it's still in May, that's up in the air with redistricting. But our third topic of this week is who is actually running in November 2022. There were a lot of candidate filings. Um, Redistricting is still going on. So the lines are still being decided. But we're hearing from people who want to run and people who don't want to run. So Republican state rep Diane Grandel is out after her district was redrawn into what looks like it's going to be Democratic leaning. She's going to run for Geauga County Auditor instead. But State Senator Tina Mara is getting a serious challenger from a woman named Michelle Reynolds. She worked for the governor up until last week. Uh, Tina Husted, uh, Ohio's second lady, came out and said, you know, her and her husband are going to put everything behind Reynolds. State Senate President Matt Huffman got behind her. It was kind of a big deal. This um This seat, which is south and east of Columbus, was in Republican hands until 2018 when Mahara sort of literally surprised everybody, including the Democrat Party, by winning that race. Um, They say they're not going to be flat footed again. They're going to fight to keep this seat. But I don't know. We'll see. It's kind of fun to see who's emerging as candidates. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely a different dynamic because of all the redistricting stuff, because, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, who, you know, haven't officially, you know, announced that they're going to run for something or, you know, um, they they haven't, you know, firmly decided to if they're going to run for something. But because of the filing deadline, they're still filing, some, you know, for a certain office and kind of waiting to see, you know, what kind of seats available, what kind of, you know, um, whether they are going to run, you know, after redistricting, you know, resolves itself. Yeah. And, you know, while redistricting is going on, the legislature is still doing other things. Um, the Ohio Senate introduced an 1,800-page bill this week. I'm not kidding. 1,800 pages. It's like five novels long. It's filled with all kinds of changes to the way Ohio handles people who commit crimes. So it does things like shortening sentences for prisoners who complete rehab programs or lowering barriers to expunging certain convictions or makes body camera footage from prison's public records. The bill sponsor described it as like a criminal justice reform bill. It's like your one-stop shopping of legislation. Yeah, it was a, I went and looked at the bill and uh, it is really, really long. And really technical. I mean, just personally for me, it's a bit unclear of how, you know, um, kind of the strategy behind, you know, kind of putting it all into this one big package just because, um, you know, it, it does seem like it's a bipartisan effort, right? The sponsors of Republican, um, I'm sure Democrats are in favor of a lot of uh, criminal justice reform. But, you know, given that it's so big, there's also bound to be kind of, you know, opposition to certain parts of the bill, you know, from, from both sides. Yeah, the Senate president was pretty pragmatic about it when I spoke to him the other day. Uh he said that his this is a bill that was five years in the making, and he hopes to get it done by the end of the year. Like he's he's realistic about how many hearings, how long it's going to take, the work that like still needs to be done. Like because I think you're right, Titus. Like you can agree with the idea of criminal justice reform generally, but the devil is always in the details. And there are a lot of details in this one. <laughs> a lot. 1,800 pages worth of details, to be exact. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one more thing before you go. You can opt out of text messages from Amazon, but you can't block with endless requests for political donations. As our reporter Jesse Ballmer found out, the National Do Not Call Registry doesn't apply to political text messaging. Charities, political groups, and debt collectors are all exempt from the robocall block list. And if you want to learn more about any of the top, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Zanesville Times Reporter. That's 
V-A-N-E, Ville Times, reporter.com. <laughs>